This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Casper's Suitcase, rather odd title. Learning the Life of Trust. So... Faith and trust are very similar, but uh, trust is sort of the abiding faith. And so instead of in those crises moments, you could believe, you could have faith in Christ, but then a crisis comes along, a, something that could shake you, shake your faith. And trust seems to be that abiding sense of remaining in that place. So I know I trust his character. I trust his nature. Even in the most challenging situations, that life of faith is proven consistent in and through our trust in who he is. So Casper's suitcase comes from one of the most impacting characters that I could say. You know, I could give a short list of men that have impacted me, and it's weird. Casper Tenboom never wrote a book. Uh, his daughter, Corey Tenboom, did. Corey, Corey and Betsy Tenboom, their life, the, the hiding place, uh, Tramp for the Lord, that book, just Corey's life and ministry, it's had a huge impact on Leslie and me. And uh, I mean, it's to the point where I would rank it as one of the most influential uh, lives for me. But the, the life that most changed her was Casper Tenboom. And so she talks about her father a lot. If any of you have ever heard her speak or, or read her books, she talks about her father a lot. And there's something deeply impacting to me when I hear a daughter reflect upon her father with such tenderness and such deep appreciation. First off, as a father, I desire a heritage to be passed where my children catch it. And they don't resent the fact that I was in ministry. It's like, yeah, my dad was always working. Yeah, he always preached the gospel. Then he lived a contrary life at home. You know those stories that we hear so often, the, the PKs and the MKs, pastor's kids, missionary's kids, that oftentimes, I mean, they go off the deep end. I mean, they saw behind the scene. They saw, you know, their dad got up and did his little thing on stage, and everyone was so impressed. Everyone loved the dad, but then we had to live with him. I want to be the sort of dad that when my children grow up, they can say, oh, no, he was the exact same. In fact, he was more loving at home. In fact, he spoke even louder at home. No, that's, that's probably... Uh, but Casper is one of those models for me. He just sort of, it says it. And some of the stories that she shares about her father, I mean, for me, are models. They're templates. It's like, okay, that's it. That's what I want to do right there. And so uh, Casper Tenboom is the one that inspired the Tenbooms to bring in the Jews in the time of World War II when uh, the Nazis had encroached upon Holland and the Jews had to wear, you know, in an evidence in their outward garb and their outward uh, clothing, the fact that they were Jewish. And then they started being carted off. They were just disappearing. And everyone knew they weren't going to a good place. And so no one would talk about it openly. And if you sided with the Jews, you would have serious problems in society. And so Casper just boldly said, we'll take them in. And so he risked his life and his family, and all of his family agreed, let's take him in. And as a result, Casper Ten Boom died uh, because of this. He was actually taken, thrown into prison. You know that when they were carting him away, the Ten Booms, they came to the house and they were taking the Ten Booms away. They said, old man, you're, you're too old for this. You just promise us that you will not take in any more Jews and we'll leave you at home. He said, I can give you no such promise. If you leave me here, I'll take in more Jews. So they took him away, and he died very quickly after that in prison. He was a very feeble old uh, man at that time. And even that decision, to me, was startling. It's like, just keep your mouth shut, Casper, and just take him in privately. Instead, he just boldly declares, look, I'm a Christian, and this is what Christians do. You cannot ask me to violate the fact that I need to love with Christ's love. And so, so many things about this man's life have impacted me. He's the picture of a good father. I always love this. Uh, he has the long uh, beard. Uh, he had that, I'm 
every picture I've ever seen of him, he has this long beard. But this is his, uh, he was a watchmaker. In fact, one, a famed watchmaker in Holland. He could, he was well known. And Corey Tenboom was uh, studied under him, and she was well known after that as a premier watchmaker. Uh, so here's the family. Corey uh, Tenboom is on the far right. I, technically, I can't tell you which one was Betsy. Uh, but uh, that's Casper in the middle. So this is a very precious family uh, to me. So everywhere, Casper Tenboom being a watchmaker, everything he did was uh, on in the exact time. Every day he did the exact same thing, and you know you, the the community would know Casper Tenboom would walk by that pole at that time in the morning. I mean, he was perfectly timed everything he did, and he would go about with a suitcase, and that suitcase was extremely heavy. Uh, according to Corey, uh, I, I never carried it, but uh, they never weighed it. But it was full of watch parts. He was just always ready to repair, always ready to fix. So he would go to appointments. He was always carrying that. And Corey, uh, being his apprentice, would travel with him. She was just a young little girl, and she he, she knew of the suitcase, and it was just sort of this legendary suitcase. And so they would go on trains, buses, wherever, and he would have this suitcase. And uh, so Casper Tenboom's case full of watch parts. I mean, this plays into what I'm talking about today. So they're on a, I don't know if it was a bus or a train, but uh, Corey is sitting next to her father. And you see, in the public trans, transit, there was, uh, you know, some young boys uh, that were having a conversation, and they were a little loud in their conversation. And they were talking about matters that young little girls should not hear. And so certain words floated through the air, and, and Corey was listening, and she had no idea what they were talking about. And so she came to her father, as she did with all of her questions, and she said, uh, Daddy, what does this mean? Well, the boys were saying this, what does that mean? And it was one of those things that a little girl should not be introduced to yet. In other words, it was beyond where she was ready to understand or to, to be exposed to. And Casper didn't respond. And so Corey was wondering if she had said it loud enough. Uh, why wasn't her father? Her father always answered her questions. And so she asked a question, and her father didn't say anything. He just sat there next to her, just sort of staring off as if he hadn't heard her. So they stop at their next uh, location, uh, and they're going to be getting off the, the bus or the train. And Casper simply looks down at Corey and says, uh, Corey, could you carry my suitcase for me? And he starts to move uh, away, and Corey's like, okay, Papa. And she reaches down, and she grabs this case, which was far too heavy for her, and she can't lift it. She goes, Papa, I, I can't lift it. He goes, I know that. You see, there are certain things in your life right now that you may want to know, but your daddy knows that you're not yet ready to carry them. Would you allow me to carry them for you until you are ready? I tell you what. Now, that's a dream fatherly moment. And even when I, you know, I hear Corey say, it's like, maybe she embellished it, made him sound grander than he was. But, I mean, that's brilliant. There is something so wise about that statement because as we train our children, there are moments like that where they want to know something. They want to have access to something before they're ready for it. Now, as a loving father, it's not that I don't want my children to be ready for those things. Hey, Daddy, can I use the gas stove? Can I turn on the barbecue? Can I use the riding lawnmower? Can I get up on the roof and repair it? You see, all of these, it's not that as a father I'm going to just say, No, I never want you to do anything mature in your life. It's that I know as a loving father, they're not yet ready for that. And so as a result, there are certain things that daddy needs to carry for them until they are ready. That's going to be very, very important. Casper's suitcase is named that on purpose. Just, it's interesting because what a watch represents is very symbolic even in uh, this message and this concept that we're going to try and unpack today. And that is that a watch, just like the kingdom of heaven, the truth of God's world, the understanding of who he is and how he works, we have the word of God and we can understand a lot of things, just like we have a suitcase. However, just because you have a suitcase doesn't mean you know how to build a watch. I mean, you can have all the parts. We have all the parts. That doesn't mean you're a master watchmaker <laughs> or even know how to fix it. It's interesting. If I gave you a watch, you would trust it. 
even though you didn't make it or didn't understand how all the pieces work together. It's one of the fascinating things about the kingdom of heaven. Our Father simply says, there are certain things you will not understand just yet. I want you to know them. I want you to understand how to be a great watchmaker, even how to fix watches. But to begin this journey with me, you need to trust me. Here's this watch, and what it tells you, I want you to believe. A lot of us trip in the beginning stages of our development, and we feel like we have to become master watchmakers before we believe. We have to understand everything before we simply trust his nature. And the simple fact of it is, he is the watchmaker, he is the master of these things, and he is asking you to humble yourself as a little Corey and acknowledge, God, I can't carry this. It is too great for me. And then he'll look down and say, oh, little child, I know that. I will carry it for you. And when you are matured to understand this, I'll give you opportunity to begin to carry some of that weight. The watch. You don't need to know precisely how it works mechanically to believe its message. Welcome to Christianity. That's how it works. Those of you that want to be intellectual giants and prove to the world all your knowledge are oftentimes going to trip. And you will fail to understand that the great revelation that he wants you to start with is who he is. That he is trustworthy. And that you can put your entire weight, stake your eternity on him and he will not fail you. If you miss that, in all your desires for highfalutin knowledge, you miss the whole thing. The suitcase full of watch parts. So you have that. We could call it the scriptures. The knowledge of God, the body of, or the science of God, known as theology, it has been handed to us. How are you handling these things? Because you have life challenges, certain things. I mean, we live in a culture, we could call it the Da Vinci Code culture, you know, that is going out of its way, just as the serpent did to Eve, to question God's word, to, to ply it with confusion, to say, are you sure? This is even God's word. Are you sure it's not just a good book written by men? I mean, I, how can we be certain? And so all of this uh, comes over us just as a heavy cloud. It's a dense, thick fog. In addition to that, we have our challenges. You can read a scripture, and it would seem if someone, especially the devil, comes to you and says, so, it doesn't look like God did that for you. He, he promises to, but it doesn't look like he did. Now you got a little confusion there. Is God true? I mean, last time I checked, he cannot lie. And when he speaks, he means it. So what do you do with that unknown element, those struggles, those sufferings that you've gone through? How do we appropriate these things? So how are you handling your father's suitcase right now? So this is a reflection just upon a little girl. Corey is symbolic of us, okay? So she has a father, and he was a good father. But he wasn't God. He was just a good father, very impressive father. What did Corey know about her father? He was wise. He knew more than her. He knew better than her. He was stronger than her. And he was capable of carrying that heavy suitcase. My papa can carry that. She knew she couldn't, and that's a wonderful place to be. You're in a very strong place in your Christianity when you recognize that you're not the one that can carry all this, but he can. What do we know about our Heavenly Father? Now, these are things that at the most basic level of your discipleship, you need to be introduced to. So if you've never heard these things before, well, you, this is a good start. Okay, This is like the basic of basics. If you're going to follow God, you need to know who he is. He cannot lie. He will not change. He is the same forever. He is eager to answer. Just think about it. You combine that. The fact that whenever you learn something about God, did you know that it will never alter? And so imagine that you find out that he cannot lie. Well, that means he will never, ever tell a lie. Ever. Like, it's not that he just hasn't ever told a lie. It's that he never will tell a lie. And now get this. He promises that when we seek him, we will find him. When we knock, he will open. He will never change from that. That is who he was and is and always will be. He is eager to answer. So if you have a question, Papa, 
You can bring that question to him. Now, the way he answers is going to be as a wise father. It'll be a little Casper Ten Boom-esque. You see, a lot of us have it pre-thought through that when we ask our father a question, he's going to answer, boom, right there. And if he doesn't, well, maybe he didn't hear us. Maybe he, maybe he isn't faithful. Maybe, maybe he does lie. We start listening to these ridiculous notions from the devil. You see, our God cannot lie. He will not change. He is the same forever, and he is eager to answer, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means he's inclined towards our benefit. He says, you seek me, I will reward you with the discovery. You will find me. You knock, I open. You go after me, I'm already after you, so you're going to find me. Believe me. He is a good father, and he gives good gifts to his children. He works all things for good to them that love him or are called according to his purpose. All things. Every single thing you ever go through. No matter if it comes from the devil or if it is distributed through his hand. It all is turned to good. If you love him and are called according to his purpose, hey, you got it good. Because you have a good father. I want to add something to that list. And he specializes in saying yes. This is not just a forced doctrine. You know, there's certain things that you sort of wonder where people get that from in the Bible. You know, and we have entire church denominations that can be built around some rather unstable ideas. It's like, well, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't say that, but I'm not saying it clearly says that. Right? There's certain things that are not totally clear that the body of Christ still will go after and teach big messages on. This is not something that is uh, unclear. This is something that is very clear. God says, yes. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asked bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? You see, Jesus is introducing the nature of the Father. Of course, it's his nature, too. He revealed the Father. This is who God is. You come to me, I'm going to give you something even better than you ask, is even a better way of saying it. You ask, I give. So, in summary, God says, yes. Now, what goes through some of your minds as I say that is, what about all the times he said no? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what it says in Scripture over and over and over. It's a promise stated by the one who cannot change and cannot lie. Now, I could go through all those. You have them in your notes. Just read them. Every single one of them says, you ask, I say yes. You ask, I say yes. You ask, I say yes. The doctrine of yes you know, if you can establish something with two or three witnesses, we can really establish this one. God says yes. So, does the God who says yes ever say no? Eesh. That's why I said this, this uh, message is a little uncomfortable around the edges. Because every single one of us lives in the reality of how we engage with truth and how we have to choose in every situation to believe, to trust. Some of you have put all, this is a poker statement, put all your chips in on God and it seemed like the hand went against you. It's like, well, wait, what? That wasn't supposed to happen. Wait a minute, that wasn't part of the thing. You prayed for healing and it doesn't seem like the healing came. Uh, you prayed for that job and yet someone else got it. I mean, right? Wait a minute, I thought it said in Scripture that when I ask, I would receive. Now, in every truth in Scripture, there are complementary or oftentimes uh, tension truths that are meant to, in a sense, balance them so that we see clearly. You see, God does say yes. This is a fact. There are other things in Scripture that help us understand how the yes works. And that's what I'm going to try and walk you through. So does God ever say no? Well, let's ask the Bible. Does God ever say no in the Bible? Moses prayed that he might enter the land of Canaan. Remember that? 
God, I really want to go into the land of Canaan. But God denied him. What? And instead led him to Mount Pisgah? No offense, God, but Mount Pisgah isn't quite the land of Canaan. It overlooks it. He has a nice view of it. But that's a no, if I've ever heard one. Is it a no? Someone brought up the other day, it was a profound statement. I don't remember who it was. They said, did you know that God did answer that uh, Mount of Transfiguration? Who was there? Moses. That was the land of Canaan. Hey, that's pretty cool. It's like just a little delay there. You ever felt that? (laughs) You know what's amazing about this is that Moses is declined or appears to be a no. Moses is symbolic of the law. Now, he may not have known that. He may not have known what he symbolized in the whole schematic of God's word, but he's symbolic of the law, and the law can't take you into the land of promise. And so what we actually see is this is a gift. God is answering Moses in a far greater way. God is answering a deeper request of Moses, and I'll get to that in just a second. In other words, God is saying yes to something in Moses' life, even though a specific request seems to be declined, God is still saying yes, and I'll go through that in just a second. The man set free by Jesus. Remember that in the Gadarenes, you got this crazy guy who the spirit, the demonic spirits are cast out of and they go into pigs and then over a cliff yeah this guy the man set free by jesus requested to go with jesus but jesus did not permit him now moses request to go into the land of canaan that's a good request this guy's desire to go with jesus that's a good request jesus did not permit him no but said to him go home to your friends and tell them what great things the lord has done for you I mean, you see how this can be a little awkward? In other words, the same Bible that says God answers yes shows, I mean, the very essence of a no here. Paul intended to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit it. And instead he heard in a dream the cries of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. I mean, was Paul going to, you know, twiddle his thumbs in Bithynia and live selfishly, drink pina coladas? What was he going to do? He was going to share the gospel. But the Spirit did not permit it. And instead, he heard in a dream the cries of the man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And of course, Jesus in the garden physically yearned to have this cup pass. But he submitted to the will of the Spirit leading him to the cross. The Father saying, no, to that natural man of Jesus that is craving to avoid this cross. No. Do you think the father should have said yes to Jesus' natural yearning to avoid the cross? Do you think he should have allowed Moses into the land of Canaan? Confused us all? Wait a minute, can the law take me into the land of promise? Should he have allowed the the crazy guy that was now set free, he's no longer crazy, to come with him? You know, all of these things, does God know what he's doing? There's things that might be a little too heavy for us. Are you willing to allow God to carry it for you? Do you trust him? Because our God when he says it, means it. And when he says that he says yes, he means that he says yes. Corey Tenboom, another illustration from her. So her family is arrested. Uh, they are thrown into Dutch prisons, which are not very pleasant, but they're a lot more pleasant than German concentration camps across the border. And so her and Betsy prayed one very specific thing God, not Germany because a lot of the prisoners were being carted across into Germany. God, not Germany. Not Germany. God, not Germany. So, the next thing you know, they're all herded out of the prison, put onto a cattle car, and they're going. And the whole while, Corey is saying, God, you know my one request. (laughs) Not Germany. And they see the German border. And they cross it. Just imagine that moment, okay? Some of you have felt that moment practically in your own spiritual life where it's just like the one thing that you have very clearly requested from God seems to be ignored. Your God has gone silent as if he didn't hear you. He's pulling a Casper Tenbu. It's like, Papa, did you hear me? I just, I asked for something very, it was a good question. There's nothing wrong with my question or in this case, my request. Not Germany, God. Not Germany, Lord. Framing your situation with the EA Lumber. 
So the EA lumber, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's the exceedingly abundantly uh, lumber. You see, God answers our requests, and he doesn't just answer them. He answers them exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask, or get this, edit, or think. You know that we are pretty limited in our thinking? And so when we ask, he says, I'll answer that. But he answers it sometimes in a manner that is even beyond what we can understand in the moment. And so therefore, we, according to our natural man and our very limited eyesight, may think, just like a young Corey, my dad's ignoring me. He didn't hear me. Casper heard her. And he has an answer. But his answer is coming. She may not fully grasp it yet, but in the years to come, what does Corey look back and say? My father's answer was perfect for me. Corey Ten Boom had prayed a prayer to God before this. God, here's my body. Here's my life. No matter how you desire to use me, I submit. I want this life of Corey Ten Boom to be used for your glory, and I want the nations to see you. She prayed that prayer, and God said yes. And now there's a subsidiary prayer. God, Lord, not Germany. You know what Corey herself said as a testimony in her life? She said, even though my prayer request to not go into Germany was genuine, that God was still answering a greater prayer, a greater yearning in my heart, and that was that my life would be used to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that don't hear it. She said, countless people in Barrack, oh, I'm sorry, in Ravensbrück concentration camp came to know Jesus before they were exterminated because God put me there. He answered my deeper prayer. He went exceedingly and abundantly beyond all I could ask or think in bringing me to that concentration camp. Now, I know what our natural man would say. God, in this case, why don't you just answer my not Germany prayer and just sort of skip out on the exceedingly abundantly one? And yet, even Corey would say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me to Germany. You know that her entire testimony, her entire influence to, to shape nations, even impact me, came because God brought her into Germany. The reason I was impacted and the reason you're being, even hearing this message today is because God said no to her smaller request and answered her bigger request. You see, he was still saying yes to what she had requested in her life. So, EA Lumber. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So we're going to contrast a young faith and a matured faith. Often many of us are functioning with a young faith. Okay? It's not a, not a problem. It just needs to grow up. And when you have a toddler, you don't look at that toddler as being a problem because they need a diaper and they toddler. Their physiological development isn't there. It's cute. I'm sure God looks at our young faith as cute, hopefully. And yet, if a young toddler, if a 20-year-old's still in a diaper and toddling around, it's not as cute. <laughs> And God desires us to mature out of a young faith into a mature faith. And this is a very critical dimension of it. So here's what a young faith says. God will do it this particular way. We always put the this particular way on it. God is going to heal and he will have to do it this way. God is going to answer this prayer and then we finish with our understanding of how he needs to answer it. But that's a young faith. It doesn't allow God to be God. And God sees things. He can carry things we can't. We need to allow him to. So he will answer the prayer. But we need to allow him to answer it his way and not put conditions. You see, when he doesn't answer it our way, that's where we can get disillusioned. Because we put an idea on the table. The first person that Jesus ever healed of blindness, he said, be healed. And so aren't you thinking that's a good model? The next guy he comes up to, and can't you just see it? His disciples are like, why are you making mud? Uh, you don't need to go through this whole mud thing. You don't need to pack it on someone's eyes. Why don't you just say, be healed? However, God is doing something in and through Christ in every one of these situations to teach us. It is beyond just a simple healing. God isn't just into the healing of a physical body, guys. He's frying bigger fish. 
He's teaching greater things. There's a greater glory at stake that if we would allow him to be God, we would see it. But oftentimes we are in such a small little zone. It's like, God, if you would just keep me out of Germany, then I could serve you. I need you there, Corey. Remember your prayer when you were young and you said, God, take me wherever you would like to take me. Use me however you'd like to use me. I'm answering that prayer. And that prayer will be answered in Germany. A matured faith says God will do it his way. You know, it's actually rather freeing when you come to that too. He'll do it. Same confidence, same faith. In fact, it's a greater faith. And he'll do it his way. He doesn't have to heal blindness the same way every time, but he'll heal blindness. My God is light unto the Gentiles. He will give light. He will heal blindness. So I want you to think about this story. Uh, I stepped out for something. I came back in. It sounded like Bo was even reading this uh, story this morning. I'm not positive, so I could be referencing something you didn't hear. But, you know, the story of the, the disciples in the boat, storm, uh, and boat filling up with water. These are fishermen who are very used to being on water. So if they're scared, this must have been a really bad storm. Jesus, the only time in all the Bible it shows him sleeping is that time. Isn't that just an odd statement? Now, what do you think the disciples were asking? So what has Jesus told them? Ask, and it shall be given. Ask, and it shall be given. Ask, whatsoever you will, it will be given. All right. Wake up and help us bail water. That was a request to the Son of God. Wake up, help us bail water. It's a good request. It's reasonable. You know that Jesus, in a sense, says no. Now, he does it in a rather funny way. I, I picture him being wide awake but acting like he's sleeping. It's just my mental picture of it, you know, where he's doing the eye thing, looking around and then <laughs> making sleep sounds. He was testing them. They asked something very specific. Now, all of us in here know that what they were asking was rather pathetic. Don't they know who's in the boat with them? Don't they realize who that is? That's the Messiah. It's the creator of the heavens and the earth. His goings forth and from of old and from everlasting. And you're asking him to wake up and just bail water? Come on, guys. You could ask better than that. You see, Jesus answers with a yes. But it's a yes that's cloaked. It appears that he's totally ignoring them. He's sleeping of all things to do in the midst of a horrible storm. I, don't, I mean, I can hardly sleep. If Leslie like, gets up in the night, I like stir. Okay, I'm like such a light sleeper. I cannot imagine that God Almighty is a heavy sleeper. <laughs> okay, it's just a hard thing to comprehend. He's in complete control every moment of this story. And they have a diddly squat request of him. Would you admit that? Wake up and bail water. Any human can do that. Jesus is frying bigger fish. He stands up and he calms the winds and the waves. And they're like, well, I guess that does it too. You see, God answers prayers that are deeper. He's saying, yes, if he answers that diddly squat prayer, he can't answer the bigger prayers. Don't take him off his throne. Say, Jesus, come off your throne and come down to a pedestrian human level to function. He's bigger than that. And we need to allow him to function from that high-seated position. A young faith often genuinely believes that suffering is bad. Boat! filling up with water. Our lives are in jeopardy. This is bad. And death to be avoided at all costs. Suffering is just bad news for a young faith. You want to avoid it. You want to do whatever you can to escape it. A matured faith genuinely believes suffering to be good. Why would you believe it to be good? Because God says it is. He says, don't you know what comes out of this? If you suffer for my name's sake, don't you understand what happens as a result? And death to be actually gain and victory. And to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We either believe the word of God or we don't. In other words, a matured faith actually begins to trust God really does know what he's doing. And so I'm going to trust that even though I go through sufferings, even though I go through difficulties, that God is working it to good. So this is good, even though everything in the natural doesn't feel good. You can know in your faith, in your confidence, it is good. Corey can know when she asks her dad a question, even if he's silent. My dad's processing. 
He's thinking this one through. He has an answer. I know it. I know my dad. I know my father. He has an answer. Do you know your father? Do you know that he says yes? Do you know that he cares for you? A young faith prays to avoid hardship. You ever done that? How many of our prayers are to avoid difficulty? Trial, imprisonment, persecution, and death. And it does this with genuine love and care, but a love and a care that is still very ignorant. It's like us praying for the Chinese house church. We're like, God, set them free. Change the communist government to be believers and get them all out of prison. And then they hear what we're praying. They're like, oh, no, no. The secret of our great strength is the persecution we're facing. We're praying that you and uh, the Western world get persecution. We're like, what? Which prayer is he going to hear? We don't want persecution. We don't want difficulty. Yet the church always thrives under difficulty when it receives it with joy, when it receives it trusting their almighty God to be in control. We trust even, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? It's like God can save us, but even if he doesn't, hey, we're trusting him no matter what. A matured faith prays for God to supply grace in hardship triumph through sufferings, the sweet aroma of his presence in difficulty, and that a magnificent glory would usher forth out of the circumstances. You see, it's a more mature way of handling those difficulties in your life. So the principle of saying no, it sounds funny, you know, because if God says yes, well, then all of us should be saying yes all the time, right? But God doesn't just always say yes in the sense that most of us have in our brain. Any more than a good father should always say yes. My kids come up to me and say, Daddy, could we go out to McDonald's? And, you know, what's a good father to say? No. (laughs) Because I have a wife named Leslie that is very sensitive to things like that. In other words, I don't just give my kids whatever they ask. They could be misled in their request. And because I love them, I am going to take them to Chick-fil-A. Instead, which of course is very healthy. We get the grilled nuggets, and that's, that's like a lot better. In other words, the request that comes, though I love my children and I desire to have my children satisfied in life, well-fed, protected, I still know more than they do of what is best for their life. And so even at times, they may not understand why they need to have work chores and things like that in their life. When you're young, you sometimes don't grasp the chore concept. Why they need to study math. It's like, what good is this for my life? I don't want to be a mathematician. It's like, there's more to it than that. You may not fully grasp this, but daddy knows something you don't know. You need to trust me. So the principle of saying no, it's an expression of love, respect, and priority. Did you know that when I say yes to a time commitment. Someone wants me to come speak. Someone wants me to uh, do this project, this project, this project. I get asked for things all the time, right? I say no to almost every speaking engagement. I don't speak like I used to. I don't travel around the world and speak like we used to. Most people have caught on to that. Uh, and so, and you can say, well, that sounds rude. Yeah, I say no for a living, if you want to say it that way. Why? So that I can say yes to what? to my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, and to my church family that God has put me over. If I say yes to those things, you know that I'm actually saying no to all those other priorities? So, a no is actually a yes. Do you see that? I just did a little magic trick uh, up there. (laughs) A no, when wielded by the Spirit of God is actually a yes to the priorities that God has set in your life. When I give a no to my children, there's two kinds of no's. I could have that random, uh, capricious no, you know, like when a father's in a bad mood. I'd like to say I've never done this in my life, but uh, I have some witnesses that potentially could uh, say otherwise. You know, like when your kids are getting under your skin, they're like yapping or they've left a trail of mess on the floor, and then they ask you for like a cookie? No. And then, of course, they follow up like, why not? Mama gives us a cookie. And it's like, because I said so. Okay, now that is a bad no. Okay, that's not the kind of no we're talking about. God doesn't give capricious random no's. If he's going to give a no, it's because 
He's saying yes to something greater in your life. Saying no to one thing is actually saying yes to something else. The loving no, the no that a good father gives. Four sorts of loving no's. The no that is given in order that a yes might be supplied. A yes to something that is exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. So Israel is in bondage to the Romans. The Romans are mistreating these guys. This is in the time of Jesus. And what, what did they expect their Messiah to do? To deliver them. So what does that mean in their mind? To destroy the Romans. Crush them, O Messiah. Instead he comes meek and mild and humble. You see, it was really difficult for them to accept that that guy was the deliverer. And when he, what was Jesus doing? Did he not care? When they were saying, deliver us from the Romans. Did he not care? Did he not hear? Oh, he heard. He's frying bigger fish. What was he doing? He was crushing the head of the devil. He was destroying the grave. I mean, he was delivering us from sin. (laughs) The eternal punishment of our souls. He's doing something far greater. And yet we're saying, hey, why didn't he deliver us from the Romans? Because he delivered your soul so that you could be saved and seated in heavenly places in him. See, are we allowing our Messiah and our deliverer to do the bigger work? The no that is given in order that a yes might be declared to a superior request. There's a greater request at stake. Think about this. Imagine Joseph in prison. It's so unjust. If any of you have ever gone through the story of Joseph, it's uncomfortable. The whole story is just uncomfortable. You think, doesn't God care about this guy? Now, since it's way back then, you sort of see the end of the story and you can accept the story that God turned it all for good, but that's your story too. There are going to be seasons where you may be falsely accused and thrown into prison. Excuse me, God, I've been living a pure life for you to honor you and this is what I get paid? You see, he's... He's exactly where he needs to be to fulfill a greater, more superior request. You see, God is establishing something. He is going to deliver his people. They're in a time of famine. God knows that there's a famine, and God is setting up a deliverance. He is providing, pro meaning ahead of time, vision. He has vision ahead of time to supply for his people. And it's a picture of the Messiah. He saw our need, and he supplied a ram, a lamb named Jesus Christ, for us. So Joseph's in the prison. Imagine his request. God, could you remind that cupbearer that I uh, helped him and that he is free because, you know, I interpreted his dream and that, you know, I have a special in with you? Maybe he could just pass that along to some of the parties uh, that are in control in Egypt and he could get me out of here. He knows I'm innocent. So there's someone on the outside that knows I'm innocent that I have helped. Could, Could you stir things up? And yet years pass. The cupbearer forgets. I mean, just totally blanks out on it. Could you imagine God just going like, yeah, I can't answer that prayer. That's a big prayer. Remind the cupbearer. And yet for Joseph, it would seem that God is saying no. He's not answering. And yet God was setting it up so that at the perfect moment when Pharaoh had that dream, the cupbearer suddenly recalls. What happens as a result? Joseph is called in. He's not just freed from prison all these years ago because of, you know, the cupbearer saying, hey, I'll I'll work a favor for you. But he actually brings up his name to the highest authority basically in the world in that day. And because Joseph is ready, he's been readied by the Spirit of God to give the interpretation of that dream. Well, guess what? He's put second in command of the most powerful nation on earth, And as is used as a powerful tool, and all the enemy meant for evil is translated into good. Whoa! God's frying bigger fish than just remind the cupbearer God. Somehow work a deal. Break prison walls down. I mean, there's good prayers that Joseph could have been praying, and I bet he was. And God answered a superior request. The no that is given in order that a greater love might be expressed. Gethsemane. It would be loving for the father to say to Jesus, you're right, son, this is, this is too great of a weight for anyone to carry. And yet there's a greater love at stake. And even Jesus agrees with that. And this is the role we play. There are certain things that we can say, Father, may I avoid this? 
may I avoid this suffering. But there's a greater love. There's a greater purpose than our own comforts. That if we would submit as Jesus did to the Father and trust him and say, you know what I can bear. You know what I can handle. You give me the grace for it, even if it's Germany. Well, that's, that's hard. I know. But that's maturity. That's what it means to serve Jesus in his kingdom and serve him well. The no that is given in order that a greater glory might be revealed. Now, we don't know a lot about Jesus' close companionship other than the disciples. But we know that he had three close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The other thing we know is that there is no one in all of Scripture that came to Jesus that wasn't healed. When they came to him to be healed, he healed them. Well, that is except one, his buddy. Isn't that amazing? Out of all the people that wouldn't be healed, it's his friend. I mean, all these people that have no name even in the Bible. We have no idea if Jesus ever even talked to them. He just touches them, right? And yet the guy that he knew well, Jesus, instead of healing him, gives a promise. This sickness will not end in death. And then what does he do? Leaves town. You ever felt this in your spiritual walk? You have the promise of the word of God, and for some reason what's going on in the natural realm isn't matching. Because Lazarus... dies. Uh, That's awkward. Jesus heals everyone except for Lazarus? You see, Jesus himself tells us why. It's for a greater glory. You see, if he had just healed Lazarus, it probably doesn't even end up in the Bible. You see, this is a statement of something even greater. The one we are referring to has power over the grave. Four days, even the grave stinketh. And he raises Lazarus up and makes a statement. I mean, it's such a statement that the Pharisees, teachers of the law, wanted to kill Lazarus, <laughs> not just Jesus. This guy is a walking testimony of the power of Jesus. A young faith versus a matured faith. Which one are you lugging around today? I want to just inspire you and encourage you to to rise up and say, God, I want to accept that you don't have to do it my way. I just know you will do it. He cannot lie. He will not change. He is the same forever. He is eager to answer. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a good father, and he gives good gifts to his children. He works all things for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And he always says yes. The two-sided ticket. So last time I taught this, I, I explained this metaphor. It's an important metaphor for my life. Sometimes it takes me years to finally land a plane mentally to say, God, I understand it in a general sense. I need that picture. I need the mental picture that will explain it to me. That's why Jesus spoke in parables, uh, in, in pictures. He would, you know, mustard seed. We may not be an agrarian culture, and mustard seeds might not mean much to us. did to them. They understood it. And so when Jesus speaks to us with those pictures, and when you finally get a picture, I mean, I don't even need to be here. I could be anywhere in the world teaching. And when someone asks a certain question, I'll be like, it's like a two-sided ticket. You see, this is very deep inside of me. You don't need to use it in your life, but you can hear it this morning. Uh, After much prayer, the answer comes. You pray, you pray, you know what the Word of God says. You say, God, you say that you'll answer yes. And you pray for something, whether it's financial, whether it's practical, whether it's physical, and finally, the answer comes. And I always think of it as like arriving at the DIA airport, you know, and you have the parking garage, and you go through, and you have to pull up to those little ticket machines. And as you pull up, it goes, printing ticket, please wait. <laughs> and then you reach out and grab it. And so you have your ticket, you have your answer. And the guy next to you goes, uh, says yes. God said yes. And we're all like, oh, praise God, that's wonderful. And then you're waiting for your answer, and then, Printing ticket, you get it. And yours says, N-O. What? what? And the guy next to you gets his. You know, he's in the aisle next to you. And he's like, it says yes, it says yes. You're just, what? And the guy next to him is like, yes, yes, yes. And you're still staring at yours trying to figure it out. What does N-O spell? Because <laughs> that's not even in the language of heaven. That doesn't exist. And so someone comes up to you and says, well, hey, what, what did you say? What does your say? Uh, mine says no well, what are you doing in this moment how are you faring 
Many have received an answer back from heaven in ticket form that reads, no. Some have received the same ticket, but it was blank, silent mum in response. You ever had that one? Yours comes out, and you're like, did it get jammed? Did the printer, is it ink out? I mean, what's going on here? Mine doesn't have any answer to it. And the the next guy is, yes, it says yes. You got all these yeses dancing around you. It's, It's actually rather painful when yours says no or is blank. It's very confusing. However, if you can catch this, you'll start to get excited when your ticket says no. I know, it's a, it's a big sell. Uh, I'm going to need to have on that one. You'll get excited when you have a blank ticket. For lack of discipleship in the church, many have been wrecked in their faith due to this ticket. They couldn't comprehend a no from God, especially when he promises a yes. The church of generations past are very familiar with the two-sided ticket and have historically cherished the no because they know it is an evidence that they have, in fact, received a two-sided ticket. Could you imagine someone come up to you and saying, what did you get? I got a no. That's great. What do you you mean a no is great? No one's ever taught you? No one's ever told you that if you ever receive a no, that means it's a two-sided ticket. And you're thinking, why does that make any difference? It's a no. To you, all that means is no. You don't recognize that it is unlocking something. An exceedingly abundant answer. A two-sided ticket is to be cherished above all other answers. See, some of you have not been cherished. You threw it in the trash. You didn't appreciate it. You should frame it on your wall. I got a no. Oh, yeah. For a two-sided ticket offers... I know, this is profound. Another side. The no is merely the hint to turn the ticket over. It's like, hint, hint. Hint, hint. I know it looks like a no, but it's actually the hint to say, I've got something exceedingly abundantly beyond what you were thinking. You see, you were asking a pretty small thing. You wanted me to bail water for you. And I know that would have seemed reasonable in your mind, but I've got something far better. On the other side is God's affectionate fatherly paragraph, beloved by all the suffering saints before us. I just happen to have a copy of this uh, paragraph. Now, I did write this, but this is the gist of it, okay? This is the essence of what's on the other side. It's pretty exciting. This is one of the most special things you'll ever hear. The affectionate fatherly paragraph. So if you have a no, if you have a blank ticket, get excited and turn it over and read this. Allow this affectionate fatherly paragraph to speak to your soul. Dear precious child, I have taken it upon myself to direct your investment of faith into something very special. It's a yes of heavenly proportions and one that is sure to make your heart swell with excitement as well as cause the glory of God to increase in this earth. Since I am all-wise, all-knowing, and I understand all things, I have seen fit to say no to your initial request that I might give you this yes instead. For this yes will express my love, power, and grace towards you and through you in even greater measure. Thank you for trusting me implicitly, your Heavenly Father. I, I mean, that's, that's precious to me. In Romans 8, we have a word that is given to describe how the Holy Spirit works. We don't know what to pray, but it says the Holy Spirit, hooper entuchanos. It's a huge word. And if you saw it, it's, it, doesn't sound, it doesn't look like what I just said. It's a very unusual looking word in the Greek. Hooper entuchano. What it means is like a superintendence, a super governing, that the Holy Spirit comes over us in a time when we don't even know what to pray. Have you ever been in those situations where all you have is a... But it's a faithful, it's a faith-filled... It's like, God, I trust you, but... (laughs) And the illustration I've given for years is that putt-putting. You know, my kids, when they were young, they would be there, and they had no idea how to hold the crazy putter, and they would, you know, the ball would just go somewhere else other than even the the green. And so I would... I would reach over them and grab the, the putter and their hands, and I'd say, okay, here we go. Here we go. Let's swing back. There we go. And, you know, they got a great score. Uh, fighting against all the other siblings that didn't have a Hooper and Tucanoing father. Uh, they, were, they were having to fight against, you know, hey, a good putter here. Because it, it was them getting the score on their scorecard. 
but it was daddy doing the putting through them. Christianity. You see, when we allow him to super govern our life, instead of saying, I've got this, God, I am going to hit it this way. You ever had it where, you know, it's one of those putt-putt things that is a little tricky. They have a little thing where they, you think you should go through here and have it wrap around, but actually there's a little hole over here. And so we're like trying to hit it this way, and, and God comes, hey, let me hoop it into Kano. Boom. Hits it through this little hole over here, and it goes, hoo, doo, boom, hoo, hoo, and then right into the hole in one putt. I want him doing the putting for me. Do you trust your heavenly father? He knows how to do this thing. You don't. You have an earthly lens, and I want you to be willing to relinquish your confidence in your earthly perspective and trust that his eyesight is clearer. You could ask him for something today just like Corey asked for her, her father for something. And are you willing to hear the fact that right now you may not understand, but I am saying yes, little one. Will you let me carry this until you are ready to fully understand? So we groan in the earthly tongue, he translates into the heavenly tongue. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, hupurentukanos, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He takes our human prayers, this is one of the best ways of looking at it, he takes our feeble prayers, and he says, thank you for that. And he converts it into the prayer that he would pray. The Spirit of God takes our earthly stuff, and converts it into heavenly answers. I prefer, personally, heavenly answers. I don't actually want God just doing exactly as I think is best. That's a very bad way to live. I know that He knows what's best, so I'm willing to give my prayers and trust that He can take those feeble prayers that are saying, keep me out of Germany, keep my family out of Germany, keep my father alive, my sister alive, I don't want suffering in my life. He could say, but you do desire my glory, don't you? I do. Trust me. Trust me, Eric. Trust me, Church of Jesus Christ. I know what is best for you. Remember, a no from God is just his way of saying yes to something exceedingly, abundantly beyond all you could ask or think. Casper's Suitcase. We all have it sort of sitting in front of us today. And some of us have a more complex understanding of this than others. Young kids in here, I don't know what the perspective is from a little kid on this message. However, it's the same. I want to trust my father. You can have a mature faith when you're young and say, yeah, my God is faithful no matter what. Some of us have gone through trials, pretty extreme ones. And there are some question marks that have danced around and so we've come to our Father and said, God, could you answer this for me? Are we willing to have our God answer us as Casper answered Corey? Little one, I know you can't carry this right now, but would you allow me to? I'm strong enough to do it. I'm wise enough to do it. But in the end, you're going to see that all things work together for good to those who love me, and are called according to my purpose. Many of us today are attempting to carry weights that our, only our Heavenly Father can carry. Trust Him. Trust Him to do it. Trust Him to make all things beautiful in His time. Trust Him to perform His amazing, exceedingly abundantly uh, work. He cannot be anything other than faithful and true. He cannot change. Therefore, He is always going to be faithful. He is always going to be true. Your job isn't to be the watchmaker. It's to read the time and agree with it. God has spoken, and he says, trust me. Our job as little children is to humble ourselves and to say, I trust you, Father. You're a good father. If you think Casper Ten Boom's impressive, you need to get familiar with our Heavenly Father. Even an earthly father gives good gifts, would not give a stone if bread was asked for how much more our Heavenly Father, He will care for you.
We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.